Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome listeners to The Family Room. I'm Mari Cleveland. I'm here with my co-host, Craig Wiesmeyer. Hi, Craig. Hey, how are you, Mari? And John Gordon. Hey, Mari. So good to see you guys. And Craig, you did an amazing job at getting us an amazing guest for today. So we are going to give you the honor of introducing our guest. Well, I appreciate that. It's uh, funny how God works. You know, I was having to be at a party, a friend's birthday party, and a Catholic theological giant happened to be in the room (laughs) and walk up to me and he simply said hi i'm christopher and then he went christopher west and i'm like i've heard that name before there's a very famous guy that does all this theology of the body stuff and that happened to be dr west so um before i do your full introduction welcome to the show dr west Thank you, Craig and Mari and John. It's a great joy to be with you. And may I suggest you don't like read like whatever you might have gotten off my website or something. I'm, I'm just a guy trying to follow the Lord. We can, if anybody wants to look it up, they can do so. But I'd, I'd rather just jump into our conversation. I find bios kind of boring. Well, well, let's put it this way for our listeners because they do like experts, and you are an expert. So uh, Dr. West does have a degree or a doctorate in theology. He also does the Theology of the Body Institute, and he teaches people about our faith through that lens. And I'm not going to go much into that, but his proudest moment, I think, is the fact that he is a devoted husband and father of five, and his wife's name is Wendy, who on their podcast is also awesome. So they do a great job uh, co-hosting their podcast together. So with that, then, we'll truncate the intros. We'll let John Gordon do the introductory prayer, please. Certainly. Truncate. <laughs> We're into big words already, Dr. West. We're truncating. We're trying to impress you. Okay. Um, all right, uh, let's, let's, drop, let's drop the doctor so that this doesn't go in the wrong direction. I'm just a guy. Okay. All right. We're good with that. And, and, and we're going to get there. I promise you, by the time we're done, right. it will be clear that we are all ju- Long, just folks. Longest intro <laughs> in the history of our show. Go all ahead. Right, here we go. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, and we give you praise for the the gifts that you share, not just the gifts of our our time together, but the gifts that you bestow on people like our listeners and Christopher West and his wife, Wendy, and just how you constantly reach out to us, drawing us back to you through these people and these resources and these opportunities. And so we would just ask that you pour out your spirit on this time, that you would open our minds and open our hearts and open the minds and hearts of our listeners and just move the way you would and heal the way you intend to and just accomplish what is your will in these next uh, hour uh, of time that we spend together. Father, we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. So one of the things you said, Christopher, you said (laughs) you're just a guy. And um, we would like to know how a guy like you gets into the theology of the body and sharing the theology of the body the way you and Wendy do and engaging. How did you get down that path as just sure. a guy? Sure. It's a great question. I was raised in the church here in Pennsylvania in the 70s and 80s. I was born in the late 60s. And I was raised on, on what you might call 
the starvation diet gospel. (laughs) When it comes to that deep ache and hunger we all have for love and union, uh, I was basic, you know, the message in the air was basically your desires are bad. They're only going to get you in trouble. But here, here's all the rules. Follow these rules and you'll be a good upstanding Christian citizen. Well, I don't know about you, but that that didn't quite cut it for me because I'm a really hungry guy. And because of that, I became a quick convert in my teenage years to what I call the fast food gospel, (laughs) which is (laughs) the secular culture's promise of immediate gratification for the hunger. And don't lie to me. The chicken nuggets taste really good going down. Uh, But if that becomes your steady diet, as it did in my life, uh, the grease and the sodium is going to eventually catch up to you, you know, that's in your system to, to go along with the analogy. And that put me on my knees in a college dorm now in the late 80s. And I remember saying, God in heaven, if you exist, you better show me why you gave me all these desires, because they're getting me and everybody I know into a hell of a lot of trouble. Mm. What is your plan? Do you have a plan? for making me a man and giving me this longing and, and hunger in my heart. What am I supposed to do with all these desires? You know, there was no, like, lightning bolt from heaven or anything, but Jesus said, seek and you'll find. So I sought, and what I eventually discovered, this teaching from Pope John Paul II called The Theology of the Body. Now we're in the early 90s, and I'm reading this for the first time, and somehow this crazy old Polish guy— <laughs> was able to put his finger on the deepest hungers and desires of my heart. And I felt like he was talking right to me. Like I I heard him say as I was reading this text, Christopher, you know that hunger you've always felt in your heart? God put it there, and he put it there to lead you to him. And I learned from John Paul II that Christianity is not a starvation diet. It's an invitation to a wedding feast. And this set my heart on fire. He, he also told me the name of that yearning in my soul, in my body, that I never had a name for. And to my surprise, he, borrowing his language from the Greeks, he called it eros, E-R-O-S. Uh, we get the English word erotic from that, eros, the Greek word. And in my mind at the time, eros was synonymous with the pornographic Mm -hmm. I I was confusing the Greek word eros with another Greek word, porneia. And John Paul was the first to say, no, 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 do not confuse the two. Porneia is the perversion of eros. Mm -hmm. And here's my analogy. I, I like to say God gave us erotic desire to be like the fuel of a rocket that has the power to launch us to the stars, to infinity and beyond, right? (laughs) But there's an enemy who gets in the mix, and his goal is to invert those rocket engines. He does not want us to reach the stars. And with original sin, you might say, our rocket engines became inverted. But here's the good news of the gospel I learned from John Paul II, and it radically changed my life. And I knew then I'd spend the rest of my life studying this theology of the body and sharing it with others. The good news I learned was that Christ came into the world not to condemn those with inverted rocket engines. He came into the world to redirect our rocket engines to the stars. Mm. 
it radically changed my life. And as I said, I knew then I'd spend my life studying this and sharing it with the world. I mean, if you discover something like as big, and this is what I really thought, this is as big as the cure for cancer. Mm. Like I discovered something that big, not that I discovered it, but it came, it fell in my my lap. And I, I, I knew I had to share it with other people. So that was the beginning of this crazy work that I do. Well, it's awesome. You paint a lot of pictures within that. And it's funny because a lot of what we talked about on our show is Ephesians 5, where you mm-hmm. talk about what marriage is supposed to be, those relationships, mm-hmm. followed by, I'll call it the inverted rocket, where, you know, okay, there's this, there's this mad scientist trying to turn this thing upside down called yep. Satan. And by yep. the way, there's warfare out there and you got to battle yep. that. So interesting the way you say that within that context, Ephesians 5 talks about the roles of of men and women, which again gets inverted in such a way. And that relationship that was designed by God for the sexes and for we as human beings, he's given us each our own role. I'm going to ask you to talk about that a little bit in relation to theology of the body. And I know Mari had a couple thoughts too to add. Well, I, I've heard you describe, I just thought it was fascinating, you mentioned that John Paul II called Ephesians 5 the summary of the whole Bible. Yep. So maybe you can blend that into your response Absolutely. as well. That was really cool. Uh, yeah, he says, he, says, <laughs> he says, this is in his letter to families, he says, the great mystery that Paul unpacks here in Ephesians 5 is a summa or a compendium of everything God wants to tell us about who he is, who we are, why we're here, how we are to live, what our ultimate destiny is, and how we get there. Well, <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of important. And in his theology of the body, he says that here in Ephesians 5, we have the crowning theme of the whole of scriptures. Hmm. And, and here is, is concentrated everything God wants to tell us in his revealed word. Those are some bold statements. So what do we learn in Ephesians 5? We learn that our creation as male and female and the call of the two to become one flesh, as Paul says, is a great mystery. And I I love the ring in the Greek, mega. It's a mega mystery. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, let's just pause there for a minute. When we're standing there in the shower naked as the day we were born, are we thinking, my body reveals a great mystery? (laughs) I think mega in terms of it's mega times what it was when I was in college. (laughs) Well, well, that John, you're you're ahead of most of us, because when I was in college, I was not thinking my body revealed a mega mystery. In fact, what I was doing with my body in college led me to experience sexuality as a mega misery. Mm. <laughs> and, and that's how a lot of people experience it. You know, it, it holds out this certain pleasure, and we go after the pleasure, but then we find ourselves in a lot of pain. And that comes back, Craig, to what you were saying, that it's no coincidence that Ephesians chapter 6 comes after Ephesians chapter 5, uh, uh, you know, that's kind of a dumb way to put it, but um, in, <laughs> the, in the context, five, not the chronology. Right, right. The context, <laughs> not the chronology. And the context is this: in Ephesians five, Paul is telling us the meaning, the ultimate meaning of our sexuality, is to reveal the great mystery of Christ's love for the church. Mm-hmm. That union that we're called to, male and female, the two become one flesh. 
This is a mega mystery, and it refers to Christ and the church. I'll say more about that in a minute. But let me say about say something about Ephesians 6. In Ephesians 6, Paul's basically saying, you want to live what I was just telling you about, the mega mystery of our sexuality? You want to live that out? Get ready for a war. Because mm-hmm. there is an enemy who does not want us to know the true meaning of our sexuality. Why? Because if we discover the true meaning of our sexuality, it will launch us like a rocket to the stars, mm-hmm. to the marriage of Christ and the church. That's how the Bible describes our destiny. If you think about it, the Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman, but it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. And these two bookends, they give us the key that unlocks the whole biblical story. And this is why Ephesians 5 is a summa or summary of the whole biblical story. Here's the whole story in five words. This whole Bible summed up in Ephesians 5 in five words. God wants to marry us. Mm-hmm. That's, That's awesome. the whole Bible. Yeah. That's the whole Bible. And what we learn in Ephesians 5 is that God wanted this eternal marital plan to be so plain to us, so obvious to us, that he chiseled an image of it right in our bodies by making us male and female and calling the two to become one flesh. This is a mega mystery, and it refers to Christ and the church. But we might say, how? How does that refer to Christ and the church? Well, think about it. Christ left his father in heaven. He left the home of his mother on earth. Remember, Paul is quoting from Ephesians, excuse me, in Ephesians, he's quoting from Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Christ left his father in heaven. Christ left the home of his mother on earth to give up his body for his bride, Mm. the church, so that we, the church, the bride of Christ, might become one flesh with him. Where do we become one flesh with Christ, the bridegroom? At Mass, right? In the Eucharist. At Mass, in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. This is where the bridegroom says to the bride, this is my body given up for you. And when we, like a bride, receive the Eucharist into our bodies, if we open to so glorious a gift, we conceive eternal life in us. When, When Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, It was as if he were saying, unless the bride be in union with the bridegroom, she cannot conceive. Mm. You see, not only does God love us, not only does he want to marry us, he wants the bride to conceive eternal life. Mm -hmm. What what did we learn in second grade? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes (laughs) the baby in the the baby carriage, right? What we didn't realize in second grade is we are actually reciting some profound theology. It's called theology of the body. Our bodies tell this story. Our bodies proclaim the gospel message itself. What message? God loves us. He wants to marry us, and he wants the bride to conceive eternal life. 
This is the theology of our bodies. Mm. Okay, that's so deep. I feel like we just need to pause, take a deep breath, and let that sink in. So listeners, if you're just joining us, you're here in the family room, and we are here with our guest, Dr. Christopher West, and that was very mind-blowing. So much to unpack in that. Some people would say, so the theology of the body, you've just taken it from some of us think of it as, okay, maybe is it just sex ed? What is theology of the body? But it's so much more than that, as you just it's said. so much more than yeah, that. Theology and- of the body is the very logic of Christianity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you believe in the incarnation, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you believe in Christmas, you believe that God reveals himself through the human body. Yeah. That's what theology of the body is in its very essence. Does it shine a bright light on marriage? Well, yeah, of course, because Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride, and that's what marriage is a sacrament of. But it's not only for married people, theology of the body. I I like to say, if you have a body, this theology is for you. (laughs) And that would mean all of us. Yes, exactly. And that's what I was just I was just thinking about that is just the way you describe that some of our listeners, obviously, many of our listeners are married, but we've got a lot of listeners who are single or not married. And yes, it's for you as well. It's for you as well. It's for everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, one of my favorite courses that I teach, I teach several courses for the Theology of the Body Institute. And one of my favorites I teach is called Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization. And what we do in that course is we go through the catechism of the Catholic Church from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And we do it with with our TOB glasses, if you will, theology of the body glasses. And the faith comes alive. Mm. The creed comes alive. All of the sacraments come alive. The moral life comes alive. The prayer, the fourth pillar of the catechism on prayer just pops open. And and these these ideas that we've heard since we were little kids start to connect with our hearts and our deepest yearnings. And the teaching of the catechism is no longer just dry, boring doctrine. It's something that is alive and connected with what we really yearn for in, in being human. And it's it's my it's my favorite well, next to the course I teach on the Blessed Mother, I'd say this is my favorite course that I teach. As you're saying that, the other thing I'm thinking about is that was the whole reason Jesus came, right? As you said, you know, the incarnate God, he came. That's why he came, and he came for all the—you uh, just described it, right? We yeah. are we are body and soul in one. We are bodies matter, and and God wants us to experience fully what that means. In, in, Absolute, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's this line in the New Testament. It kind of goes in one ear and out the other, but it summarizes everything we're talking about. The body is meant for the Lord, St. Mm-hmm. Paul says. Mm-hmm. But then he also says, the Lord is meant for the body. You see, in John Paul II's teaching, and here he's drawing from the fathers of the church, the incarnation is not an afterthought. We tend to think that Christ came in the flesh because we sinned, right? No, he suffered and died on the cross because we sinned. But the incarnation was always in the mind of God Mm. because God the Father always wanted a bride for his son. Mm. He wanted his son to become one flesh with his bride. That means 
the incarnation was always in the mind of God. The fathers of the church reflect on this in some detail, that right from the first pages of the book of Genesis, when we read, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, right from the first pages of Genesis, this is a foreshadowing of the incarnation. God's eternal plan is that he wants to marry us. He wants to be one in the flesh with us. That's impossible if God doesn't have flesh. Mm. So the incarnation is not plan B. There's only one plan. There's only plan A. You could say that that plan went on a detour with original sin. And because of original sin, now the marriage is consummated on a bed of suffering. Mm. Mm. That is the consequence of sin, the bed of suffering, the cross. Mm -hmm. But the marriage... The incarnation, which, by the way, the incarnation is the marriage, (laughs) because what happens in the incarnation, what happens in the womb of Mary, is the human and the divine Mm -hmm. are wed in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so St. Augustine says the marriage of heaven and earth, the marriage of the human and the divine, is consummated in the bridal chamber of Mary's womb. Hmm. (laughs) Mary's womb is the bridal chamber where the marriage of heaven and earth is consummated. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke. Uh, Really? Moses. (laughs) So I want to go way back to something you said a minute ago. You said if you have a body, the theology of the body is for you. And so this is kind of like a multiple choice question because you're in the family room now. And in the family room... We have grandparents, parents, adolescents, younger children, and friends. They all come to our family room. How do we talk about or how do you, if I said, Christopher, have at one of those groups between now and our break, and then we'll take it up again if we need to after our break, pick one of those folks in our family room and talk to them about the theology of the body. We've got four minutes before the break, and if I could, like, be biased, I would say I'm really anxious to hear what you're going to tell adolescents. But you're smarter than me, so I'll let you pick it. I said it was multiple <laughs> yeah, choice. Well, what we're talking about when we talk about the theology of the body is an education in being human. What does it mean to be a human being? And what does it mean as a human being to be either male or female? If you haven't noticed, there is a violent attack Mm -hmm. against our creation as male and female going on in the world today, right? Mm -hmm. Why did God make us this way? I want to go to the kids. Okay. I I have a particular love for children, and I'll just tell you what's one of the things that we've done with our kids in helping them understand the theology of the body. Ever since they were little kids, we've put them to bed with prayers, of course, but the way we pray would go something like this. Lord, thank you for making mommy to be a woman. Thank you for making daddy to be a man. Thank you for calling mommy and daddy to the sacrament of marriage. And thank you for bringing John Paul and Thomas and Beth and Isaac and Grace into the world through mommy and daddy's love. Thank you for making our boys to be boys. Help them to grow into strong men to give their bodies away in love. Thank you for making our girls to be girls. Help them to grow into strong women to give their bodies away in love. If they're called to marriage, please prepare them for that vocation, and please bless their future spouse wherever they are. 
if they're called to remain celibate for the sake of the kingdom, please prepare their hearts and their bodies to make that gift of themselves. You know, in the, the language we use there, the celibate man is called to marry the church. The celibate woman is called to marry Christ. That's the language that our kids grew up with. So when we would say those prayers, that would make sense to them. If they're called to be celibate, it doesn't mean negating God's plan for sexuality. It means living it out in another way. In fact, in the ultimate way, because the ultimate marriage we're called to is not the marriage of man and woman. Only some people are called to that marriage. The marriage we're ultimately called to and the marriage that everyone is called to is the marriage of Christ and the church. Mm. That's what the celibate vocation is. So there, there is a way to pass this on to, to everyone, regardless of their age. Uh, and we have to, because it's an education in being human. Awesome. Wow. So it, great that you went to the kids <laughs> first, because as I thought about how I could see everything working and wondered, how do you talk to the kids? That's mm. amazing. And we've got like two minutes left before the break. Yeah, it was interesting, as you said, that two things hit me. One was I spoke to a woman who's done a lot of um, study with with theology of the body, and she teaches, and her husband teaches, so they've learned a lot from what you've made very accessible, um, theology Mm -hmm. of the body and and Pope John Paul, St. Pope John Paul's work. And she said, we... She said, we tell our kids, we help our kids see that they are a gift. They are a gift to each other. So she said, in our family, we talk about how you, your body, you are a gift. And are you being a gift to your brothers and sisters today? That's beautiful. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. John Paul II, in his own language, kind of fancy language, he says, this is the law of ecstasy. Mm. The call to go out of ourselves. That's what ecstasy means, to go out of yourself, Mm. to be a gift to someone else. And what happens when we learn to do that? We're learning to love as Jesus loves, and Jesus gives that commandment to love so that his joy, his ecstasy might be in us and our joy might be complete. What we're talking about is the call to love as Jesus loves is chiseled by God right in our bodies. Mm -hmm. A man's body doesn't make sense by itself. A woman's body doesn't make sense by itself. But seen in light of each other, we see the call to be a gift. Mm-hmm. That's what theology of the body is about in its very essence. The call to love as Jesus loves. How does Jesus love? This is my body mm-hmm. given up for you. Mm-hmm. And you seem so prophetic in teaching your kids to say that as they went to bed, because who who knew when you began those prayers that those words were going to be twisted and turned around in so many ways that there would be questions about about that. So, yeah. Well, if we are not leading our children to the banquet, they're going to take their hunger to the fast food. It's just a matter of simple math because we're all hungry. Yeah. So we need to find ways to, to, to lead our children to the banquet. Wendy and I have tried uh, our best. We haven't done it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. but we got to try. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on the Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. So, you love listening to The Quest, but can't always listen live? No worries. Now with the Quest Atlanta app, you never have to miss out. Listen on demand, submit prayer requests, catch up on the latest headlines, and so much more. Available on the App Store and Google Play today. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, 
People need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, the Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to the Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info at thequestatlanta.com. Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. This is Lisa Popchek from More to Life. Catholic Radio changes lives. It's for you, with you, every single day. Whether you're rejoicing over something and you need a community to share that with, or you're struggling with something and you need a community to support you. We're here for you every day to teach you about your faith and to help you live it. This is your home, and we're always here for you. Thanks to our friends at EWTN, our programming is provided free of charge. But this station has other expenses that must be paid to keep the doors open and the lights on. Support of your local Catholic radio station helps keep shows like More to Life available in your area. No matter the amount, your gift works to make a difference for you, for others, and for the future of Catholic radio. Please prayerfully consider making a gift right now. We'll talk to you soon. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. We're back in the family room. Sponsored by Versprite, right here on AM 1160, The Quest. Here with now our good friend, Christopher West, appreciate you for being here. And wow, the, the, the depth of the topic is frankly blowing us all away. As we come out of break, though, we always like to ask about your personal family room. Do you have one or two favorite memories from your family room that you want to share? You know what comes to my mind first is um, COVID. When COVID hit and the whole world was on lockdown, we had unprecedented in our family history. We had four months where everyone was home every night of the week. <laughs> and during those four months, we had movie nights in the family room. We had game nights in the family room. And we had so much fun. I mean, you know you know how family life is. Usually there's practice for this or that. Or, um, and I travel a lot for my work. I was home. All the kids were there. Uh, our oldest was home from college. And that time in our family room, game nights, movie nights, conversations, and also because we weren't able to go to Mass, Sunday mornings we'd gather in our family room and we'd sing some hymns together. We'd read through the readings for that Sunday liturgy, and we'd usually listen to maybe Bishop Barron Tomley. And we had so many wonderful times during lockdown in our family room. That's what comes to mind. 
Awesome. That's great. That's great. You know, we it's so interesting. I always, as you were speaking, it made me think of Romans eight twenty eight. Right? God works all things together for good. Yes. For those yes. who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And I heard so many people who said that they said, you know what, this was terrible and such an amazing gift at the same time. Yes. Well, God's always going to use the things for those that follow Him. And given that note, you know, before we went into break, <laughs> you were talking about talking to younger children about what they were created for, what their bodies were created for, which who would have thought we'd have to actually have those conversations in our lives? Because growing up, it was kind of like, well, of course, this is what you've yeah. got. Interesting, though, one of the questions is theology of the body, I think, is still somewhat unknown. People talk about it a lot, and you've got groups of people that know it. Question for you is, with all your teaching and with all you're doing, how do you expand this into every church, every school, because as you've said, you know, we're all under attack and you got schools really trying to teach the opposite. Mm-hmm. How do we battle that on a practical level, even in our own church? How do we like have these yeah. conversations? Well, there's a very basic principle here. You cannot give what you do not have, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Here's an analogy. Like John Paul II, for such a time as this, has John Paul II given us the theology of the body? He was a prophet. He was a man ahead of his time. I mean, the world was chaotic enough 40 years ago when he was giving us this teaching, but we need it all the more right now. Mm -hmm. There is an all-out diabolic attack against the meaning of the human body and our creation as male and female going on in the world today. For such a time as this have we been given John Paul's teaching. But here's the analogy. It's as if we have the cure right in our hands. But if we don't inject that cure into our bloodstream, it's not going to do us any good. Mm-hmm. Right? So there are many people, um, myself among them, who have been called in a particular way to give their lives to spreading this teaching. Uh, the organization that I helped to found and that I work under now is called the Theology of the Body Institute. There are many other organizations out there. Theology of the Body Foundation, there's the uh, Theology Theology of the Body International Alliance, there's the Culture Project, there's the Chastity Project, Um, there's so many others, and I better just stop there because then somebody's (laughs) going to say, why didn't you name my organization? (laughs) For education in the family and in Catholic schools, I will point to an organization called Rua Woods, R-U-A-H, Rua that's the, the biblical word for the mm-hmm. breath mm-hmm. of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Rua Woods, they have a curriculum, K through 12 curriculum, that unfolds this vision of John Paul II for K through 12. I mean, I, yeah, I can't recommend that more highly. So many organizations out there, but just Google Theology of the Body and start poking around. I can tell you some of the things that we offer. We offer retreats and courses for people who just want to be personally enriched by John Paul's teaching. Uh, you can be more formal about it and go for our certification program, or you can go as far as getting a master's degree. Uh, we've partnered with Pontifex University to offer a master's degree called Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization. Our mission is to train the trainers, to train people who can then go out there and, and do this at the parish level. We also are developing a parish program to inject the theology of the body into the parish culture, into the parish life. Mm. Um, And you can learn more about that by, again, just going to our website is theologyofthebody.com. Just start exploring. You could listen to our podcast, the Ask Christopher West Show. 
just go to AskChristopherWest.com or wherever you, you listen to podcasts. Just start dipping in. If you're new to this, I'd recommend reading Theology of the Body for Beginners. That's a great mm. place to start. Uh, just dip your toe into this, and you will find there's no end, uh, because what Theology of the Body does is unfolds infinite mysteries, which means there's no end to the mystery. There's always more to discover in our faith, and the Theology of the Body will, will, will lead you into our, the whole of our faith. Mm-hmm. in a way that probably you've never seen it before in your life. I would just say get started and keep learning. There is always more to learn. Yeah. So we will put all of those resources that you just mentioned, we will put those on our show notes. So um, listeners, you go to thequestatlanta.com forward slash the family room and you can get to our show note area. So we'll make sure to have this as you were talking. And I was thinking back to Craig's original question around that. How do we get into the schools and the parishes? What you were really sharing with us was, you know, God is going to work through each one of us, which is the way it's all supposed to happen. When you were 23 or 24, he pricked your heart and put you on fire for this. And look, it's turned into your life's work. I was listening to one of your podcasts and there was a young man who was at Wheaton College of all places. And he was pricked the same way to to go and to start reaching out. And, you know, God gave us the gift of Pope. Um, John Paul II to be our our father here on earth as as the Pope and gave him then this prophetic work. And so he's going to prick the hearts of all these people who are dipping their toes in and then diving in. And so hitting all the parishes, all the schools, all the different the places, the families, the marriages where this work can go through each one of us because we are called to called, called to go share what we have. Yeah, exactly. It, it's like what they say on the airplane, you know, yep. um, when the plane goes down first, or if the plane goes down, first put your own An oxygen, oxygen mask, mask yep. on, then help others. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, folks, the plane is going down. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it is time to put this oxygen mask on and then help others. We have to breathe this in ourselves. Mm hmm before we can be of any service to other people. Um, and and it, it, I am encouraged. I've been doing this for 25-plus years, and I, I am encouraged to see that the word is getting out. It's spreading. But, oh, my gosh, there remains so much work to be done. Still, even to this day, the average person in, in the parish, excuse me, the average person in the <laughs> parish, say that 10 times <laughs> If you say, have you ever heard of Theology of the Body? Typically, you get blank stares. One in ten people might say, yeah, I've heard of it, but but isn't that that chastity thing for, mm-hmm. for, for teenagers? Mm-hmm. No, no. I mean, is it for teenagers? Yes, because they have bodies too. But it's for everybody. This is the theological antidote to the crisis of our times. Yep. If you look back at, at, at church history, you will see that crisis is nothing new to the Catholic Church. But whenever there's been a great crisis, the Holy Spirit has raised up a great saint Mm -hmm. to give us the theological antidote to the crisis of the time. And the crisis of our times, hello, it is a sexual crisis. Mm -hmm. We don't know anymore what it even means that we are male and female. For such a time as this, have we been given St. John Paul II and his antidote, the theology of the body. Yeah. But we got to take it up. We got to inject it in our bloodstream. We got to <laughs> breathe it in ourselves before we can help others. Amen. That is profound. And Christopher, I, each time you say something, it kind of 
takes us to an, another thought, but you said you can't give what you don't have. I love the analogy of the plane. The plane is going down because, man, it sure feels like that. And my mm. stomach feels like what a plane feels yeah. like as mm. it goes down as I listen to the news. Yeah. But you said, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And then I think about like Ephesians 6 and the warfare. And I thought as, as we were talking about these different topics, that if you have a wound on your body, that wound is more susceptible to infection than anything else in your body, right? Correct. It's, it's, Correct. And so when I think about the attacks of the devil, where there are wounds, that is ripe for an attack. And you Correct. spend a lot of time in your podcasts and on different things talking about the woundedness, talking about just the healing of wounds in the theology of the body. In that context, talk to us a little bit about how important it is to deal with the wounds. How do we deal with the wounds? Yes. Some people say, just put it behind you and never look back. Mm -hmm. Others are like, hey, if the wound is there, you can't just pretend like it's not, correct? That's right. Very well said that our wounds are the places where the infection can really set in. And let me link this, as you did, John, with Ephesians chapter 6. St. Paul is telling us about this warfare around mm -hmm. our bodies and our sexuality. The very first piece of armor that he says we have to put on. Do you know what it is? We want to gird our loins. Gird your <laughs> loins with, with truth. truth. Truth, yes. It is the truth of our sexuality. Mm -hmm. And what do I mean by that? The truth of our creation in the image and likeness mm -hmm. of God as male and female. Mm -hmm. As we gird ourselves in that truth, we discover what it really means to be human. This is what John Paul II says. He, must, he says, Man must reckon with his natural greatness. And the church's teaching is a call to embrace our greatness, who we really are as men and women made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, everything starts from this point. What do I mean? If society has a cancer, and we can recognize that it does, mm -hmm. right? Society has cancer. Mm -hmm. We have to treat that cancer at the cellular level. Well, what's the fundamental cell of society? Family. The family. The family. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go deeper. John Paul II says, just common sense, of course, but he acknowledges this common sense, that the family is the fundamental cell of society. But he says we have to go deeper. What's the nucleus of this cell? The nucleus of the cell that is the family is the conjugal act, the marital embrace, the two becoming one flesh. Why does John Paul II call that the nucleus of the family? Because without the sexual embrace, there's no family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is just biology 101, right? This is where babies come from. Mm -hmm. That's where creation happens. Yeah. That's where, that's where procreation happens. Mm -hmm. Creation with God is procreation, mm -hmm. right? So John Paul II says, if there is cancer right here, in the union of man and woman, the family's going to have cancer. And if the family has cancer, the neighborhood has cancer. And if the neighborhood has cancer, the community has cancer. And if the community has cancer, the city has cancer. And if the city has cancer, the state has cancer. If the state has cancer, the country has cancer and, the, and go from that to the whole world. Mm -hmm. right. right. How do you treat this cancer? You got to go back to the cell and you got to go back to the nucleus. You've got to go back to why are we male and female and what is the meaning of human sexuality? If you go back 100 years, the basic milieu in the culture was Puritanism, 
mm-hmm. a fearful rejection of the body and sexuality. It was the starvation diet, right? Mm-hmm. That was the cultural approach. Hugh Hefner in 1953 says, I started Playboy magazine as my personal response to the hurt and hypocrisy of Puritanism in my strict Christian upbringing. Hmm. Now, let's press into that a little bit. Hugh Hefner started, I mean, he was not the only guy, obviously, but he was one of the main architects of the sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. He was responding to what I call the starvation diet approach. What did he give us? He gave us fast food. Fast food is better than starvation. But what does fast food do to you? It does exactly what I shared earlier. It makes you sick. Mm-hmm. That's where the whole culture is now. Because we, we just flip-flopped from a puritanical, fearful rejection of the body and sexuality to a licentious indulgence of our disordered sexual desires. Right? The sexual revolution came to celebrate disordered sexual desires. Puritanism says it's all bad, repress it, reject it, it's all bad, it's all evil. The sexual revolution responds to that and says, no, celebrate it, it's all great and awesome. Well, both of those approaches come from our fallen humanity, right? John Paul II, as a young Polish priest, was also responding to Puritanism in the culture. But rather than celebrating a licentious indulgence of disordered sexual desire, what, like the sexual revolution did, John Paul II held out to the world the possibility of the redemption of sexual desire, mm. a restoration of God's original plan. What do we notice about God's original plan? In the beginning, man and woman were naked without shame. Mm-hmm. John Paul II in a very evocative statement, says that verse, Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife are both naked without shame. He says this is the key for understanding the original biblical vision of what it means to be human. Why is this the key? It's the key because it demonstrates that man and woman experienced sexual desire in the beginning exactly as God created it to be. And God created erotic desire in the beginning to be the very power to love as God loves. Mm. That's why they were naked without shame, because they experienced sexual desire as the power to love divinely. And, John, I am getting to your question about sexual (laughs) wounds. Don't think I've forgotten you. But I have to unfold all of this to understand what sexual wounds really are. Because if you don't understand what true health is, you don't understand what wounds are, Hmm. right? True sexual health is what they had in the beginning when they were naked without shame. They experienced sexual desire as the power to love divinely. But what happened with original sin? To put a biblical image to it, the man and his wife ran out of wine. What do we mean here? Wine is a biblical image of divine love. And so we could say this, in the beginning, man and woman were drunk on God's wine. That means they were filled to overflowing with the power of divine love. 
And that's what flowed out of their bodies. There's no shame in loving as God loves. It's pure joy. But when they ran out of wine, we're back to this principle, you cannot give what you do not have. This is the moment sexual woundedness entered the world. Sexual desire, having run out of wine, is now selfish. Hmm. And we call selfish sexual desire lust, right? Adam is now looking at Eve selfishly. He's looking at her as an object for his own selfish pleasure. And Eve knows she's not meant to be treated as a thing for Adam's selfish pleasure. So she covers her body, not because her body's bad. She covers her body because her body is so good. And she feels an instinctive need to protect the goodness of her body from the degradation of lust, from the fact that her husband has run out of wine. Well, we're picking on the men here, but it goes the other way, too. The woman has also run out of wine. Guess what? All of humanity has run out of wine. That's the fundamental sexual wound. Okay, here comes the good news of sexual healing. When we experience lust, when we get that feeling, we need sexual healing. But where, where does that sexual healing come from? Where did Jesus perform his first miracle? I was, uh, that's wedding exactly where I was going. Right? Yep. Yeah. The water into wine. Yeah. All right. The wedding. So what happened at the wedding feast of Cana? This Mm -hmm. is the first miracle. Mm -hmm. Why? Because this is where we need healing, right here. Here I'm quoting from Renero Cantalamesa, who's the papal preacher. Mm -hmm. And he says, redemption begins with eros, Mm -hmm. E-R-O-S, eros, because this is what is the most dominant force in human life. This is where redemption must begin. It's not the whole thing. But it's the beginning. And we see this precisely in Jesus performing his first miracle at a wedding where they ran out of wine. Mm. John Paul II says that the married couple in Cana running out of wine is a symbol of the original sin. We've all run out of wine. But here's the good news of the gospel. Christ came into the world not to condemn those who run out of wine. He came into the world to restore the wine in super abundance. Mm -hmm. And do you know what the goal of the Christian life is from this perspective? It's to get utterly plastered. (laughs) I wanted to go there so badly, and I thought, no, boy, I just better not. Thank you very much. It's to get totally drunk on God's wine. What did they accuse the apostles of on Pentecost? Yeah, you're right, of being drunk on them. Yep, yep. And how does St. Paul begin Ephesians chapter 5? Before he gets into any of the details about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, he says this, don't get drunk on wine, get drunk on the Spirit. Because if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, if you have not taken this new wine that Christ brought into the world into your hearts, You are stuck in your sexual wounds, and you're never going to be able to love as Jesus loves if you are not overflowing with his wine. Mm. That's the key to the whole thing. Where do we get this idea that Jesus is a party pooper? (laughs) Do do we know how much wine Jesus brought to this party? Like, if you did the math on it, it's over 750 bottles of wine. (laughs) 
But you know, here's what's beautiful about a couple of things you said, and I think it's noted. Shame is dominating our society today. We've yep. run away from God because of shame. We've covered ourselves up and said, you know, uh, don't don't see me, God, anymore. Yep. Why, why are you hiding from me? Oh, I heard you coming. Bottom line is, to your prophetic words of, of, of John, Paul, and everything, God's chasing all of us down. He's chasing us down to eliminate that shame, to come into our lives and say, guys, I can redeem all the, all the vinegar you drank before. Preach it. Preach I can it. turn it into wine today, I guess is the best way to put it. Yes. yes. I am not letting you get away from me. If you're willing to turn back and all of the crap that you've gone through, yes. I can make yes, new. Brother. Mm-hmm. He just did it to somebody I'm close to, went back to an old memory, entered into it, and healed it. Craig, there it is, brother. There it is. That's the journey. We have to bring the light into all the dark places of our hearts, our memories, our experiences, including and maybe even especially our broken, wounded sexual experiences. When was the first time you were exposed to pornography? When was the first time you masturbated? When was the first time you had an illicit sexual experience? We need to bring the light of God into these memories. He comes not to shame us, not to scold us, not to condemn us. He comes to heal, to restore and redeem us. Amen. We have to get to the point where we can say, rather than I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. We have to get to the point where we can say, I was at peace because I knew he loved me, so I exposed myself to Amen. his love and his mercy so that he could heal me, restore me, and redeem me. Perfect. And we're going to ask you to close in a prayer. My only other comment is, wives, get your husbands to step up. Husbands, step up. Protect your family. Get involved and do exactly what Christopher is saying. Learn what all this is about and bring it to your family. So with that, would you close us in prayer? Certainly. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for creating us as male and female in the image of your own eternal exchange of life-giving love. You know well, Lord, that an enemy has gotten into the mix and robbed us of our original vision of what it means to be male and female. We now look, but we do not see. Each and every one of us, we are the blind man in the gospel who has to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. We want to see Jesus hear the cry of our heart, open our eyes to who we really are as men and women made in the image and likeness of God. May the light that shines through your body shine on our bodies, that we might become the men and women we are created to be. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Christopher, for being with us. You've been a blessing to us and to our listeners today. It's been a joy. Thank you. And listeners, we look forward to being with you again next week here in the Family Room where we offer hope, encouragement, wisdom, and truth for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to am1160thequest.com.